Good morning, Austin Oaks Church family. Good to see you. Good morning to all of you watching online and to our classic service folks I'll be watching online er later, earlier. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, name is Pastor Brandon Ziske, lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Um, so glad to have you here. Our heartbeat as a church is to be simply all about Jesus, and that's why we do all that we can to help others meet, know, and follow him. Um, I want to do a real quick um, few little housekeeping things just so we all know kind of our game plan a little bit. Um, as it relates to Christmas Eve and some of our COVID-19 plans, which I know we are like super thrilled to hear more information about COVID, um, we, we want to make a request on our church community on Christmas Eve, our services, which are at 3, 5, and 7. We're going to have two services inside, and the 7 o'clock is outside in our courtyard. If that feels more safe for you to do that, we, we, we wholeheartedly welcome you to come to that. But we're going to make a request that we would wear our mask the entirety of the service on those, just because we know that on Christmas Eve services, we have an increase in numbers. Also, just a reminder, on the 27th, we won't be having a live service. It will be online. So don't come to church unless you want to be here by yourself. You can feel glad to do that. There's a great courtyard. You can pull up the service on your phone. and You can watch it that way. So also on January 3rd, we'll have services again in here, but there won't be any childcare. And we're already working on plans to make sure that we can add additional services so that way we can control how many people we have in this room to make it safe and smart and all those types of good things. And so um, that's our plan there. But also I want to do a quick little shout out. I'm not sure if any of you are paying attention or following, but uh, Regents won the state championship game. Fifth year's the charm, apparently. It takes about five trips to go consecutively to finally win. But nonetheless, it was a crazy game. It was fun to watch. I know Kyle Shotwell over here, one of our elders, he coaches on the football team. So congrats. Glad to hear you didn't rip a ligament or something again. Anywho, okay. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare or for your good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now we gotta remember real quick the context of this passage. This was a promise that God gave to the nation of Israel before they were taken in captivity by the nation of Babylon. And this was looking ahead. God's like saying like, listen, Days are going to get dark coming. They're going to be confusing. They're going to be troubling. But that doesn't change things. Like, because of what's going to come, it doesn't change the fact that I know the plans I have for you. And all the plans I have are for you are actually for your good. They're not evil. Even though you might be tempted to think that this is bad, that this is evil, my plans for you are for your good. And in fact, all of my plans are to give you a future and a hope. And that's why we have this sermon series saying that the future is bright. Because whatever God says, he's going to do. And at that time when Israel heard these words, they had no clue what these plans were. All they knew was the character of God. And they just had to rely on who God was. But we today, we, got, we get to know what God's plan is, right? It's, it's Jesus God did well to make good on his word by sending us his son, Jesus. For unto you this day a child is born. And that's why I can't think of a better time in the Christmas season to really just like hone in and just look at Jesus again and again and again. 
It's fascinating when we look at this verse. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, we really love to highlight that front part where God says like, for I know the plans I have for you. We like to give out posters to graduates because they're like, I don't know what to do with my life. We're like, here's a poster. God knows the plans for you, right? Like we love to talk about that because it's important to do that. For I know the plans and the plans are good. They're not for evil. They give you a future and a hope. But there's two other verses that are connected to that that begin to speak of an action in light of those promises, then you will call. Like, look at that word, then. For I know the plans, plans for your good, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. Then you will come to me. Then you will pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I just want you to know just how good God is. Like, note that, okay? Because not only did he give us these beautiful promises and saying, like, I got good plans for you. I know them, and nothing will obstruct them. They're for your good. They're for your future and for your hope. Your future is bright. But not only that, he gives us promises certifying and guaranteeing that when we go after him, when we pursue him, we will find him. When we call upon him, he will hear us. He will respond to us. God is not in the bait and switch business. God doesn't just say one thing to mislead you. When God says something, you can guarantee it as a certified fact. And that's why we have Jesus. God is so good. And I know sometimes because I feel this that we are tempted like, I don't know the purpose of praying. I don't know the purpose of pursuing him. Does God even hear? Does God even see? Yes. 100% yes. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. For all of the promises of God. I want you to say that word with me. Even for you at home. Say it with me. Even if it's awkward. Say it with me. The word all. For all. Does that exclude any? For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. And that is why it's through him. If you ever want to know why we say amen when we finish praying, that is why through him we utter our amen. In other words, saying I agree with, I believe this. It's like the period mark on this sentence. Like yes, I am agreeing with these promises. It is a guarantee to God for his glory. Like, we got to let this just, like, rock our worlds a little bit. Because when we look at the creation, the one who spoke all of this into being, God has promised us that when we come to him, when we call upon him, when we seek him, he will hear, he will move towards, and we will find him. That's why we can't forget about Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God hears us, that God is near us, that God will be found. Our God is the greatest giver ever. He goes beyond what he even ought to do. He doesn't even have to do this. But he's so good. 
Christmas reminds us of God's heart, reminds us of the precious gift that he gave the world. And that's why Christmas celebrates giving. Just had this conversation with our kids. Why do we give on Christmas? Well, it's a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of God's heart who gave his son to the world. And that's why we as parents try really in vain to remind our precious little ones that the greatest gift is Jesus and then it's the PS5. Right? Like we always try to remind them of that. Yeah, see, like, yeah, yeah I already hear that. The parents were like, see, I told you. Part of the thrill of Christmas is the, 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 the process of giving and receiving the gifts. Like there's, there's beauty in it. There's suspense in it. There's anticipation in it. Our kids work on their list for some time. Like they'll start talking about their Christmas list in July, right? And they're, getting, and they're like getting excited about it and they're wondering, am I gonna get what I asked for? And I remember being a kid and being all cool when my parents would give us the gifts. And I'd be like, oh, it's okay, dad, if you don't get me what I asked for and da-da-da-da-da. And then I would open up the present, and it, none of the presents are on my list. And I'm going to try to act like it really doesn't bother me. But it really does bother me because they didn't give me anything on my list, right? And I didn't realize, like, how that made my parents feel until I became a parent. Like, my kids give us the list, and, like, you spend this time wondering, should we do it? Should we not do it? And, and I know, I'm just, I'm just, okay, get it. I know some of you can be like, wow, he's a Grinch. Okay, I'm just going to admit that, okay? Like, Christmas shopping is stressful, Okay, it's stressful for me because like I'm wondering like is it worth spending all of this insane amount of money on gifts that are going to last only a week, right? See, I told you I'm a Grinch, okay? And like, you know, then you're like, yeah, I don't want to let my kids down. So I want to give them everything on the list, but that's no fun because they know exactly what they're getting. So I want to surprise them. I'm going to try to come up with my own gifts and then strike out on it. And the kids are like, oh, it's okay, dad, you did your best. And like, I didn't realize that it actually affects me. Like, I actually take it personally and feel really bad when my kids don't like the present, right? But here's what's true about Christmas gifts. Now, kids, listen up. Parents, you can thank me later. Your parents are giving you gifts that they, okay, kids, I need you to listen. Brayden, Cora, Addie, okay? Your parents are giving gifts that they think are good, and they mean well in giving that gift, even if it is a crummy gift. Okay? Like, they're meaning well. It's a gift. Okay? Now, here's where it's different with God. Whereas parents, we mean well, and we could actually give a really bad gift. Here's where it's different with God. God not only gives us just what is good, but he always gives us what is best. He always gives what is best. Even if it's not what we ask for, even if it's not on the list, he's always going to give us his best. For he knows the plans. He knows the plans for your good. He knows the plans to give you a future and a hope. Our God is the greatest giver ever and he knows exactly what you need. He wants to give us good things and this whole idea of that, then you will call, then you will come, speaks of a relationship. It speaks of a dialogue. It speaks of asking questions and re making requests of God. It's like, when you call, when you pray, when you come, I will respond. And this makes me ask the question, well, then what should I ask for? 
Are there certain requests that we know that God will always say yes to that are actually for our best? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. There are three things that we're going to look at this morning that God will say yes 100% of the time. And I promise you that if you were to begin to shape your relationship with God around these three requests, all of your other desires will find satisfaction within these three requests. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, pull it out. Um, if you want to grab a book with pages, you know, these things, like I don't know if we remember this, pull it out. We're going to be in Exodus 33. And if you're going to promise me you're only going to look at the Bible on your phone, pull it up. I want you to look at the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 33, it comes on the heels of a really tragic moment in a nation of Israel. God redeemed them, pulled them out of Egypt, and this is God's chosen people. They're moving to the promised land, land flowing of milk and honey. He's going before them in a, in a pillar of cloud and fire. And now they're at Mount Sinai, and God called Moses to go up in the mountain to give him what we know today as the Ten Commandments. And, and he's up there for 40 days, and there's this crazy firestorm around the mountain, and the people of Israel are encamped out there just seeing this for 40 days. Well, they get a little impatient, and it's getting close to the end of the 40 days, and they wonder, where's Moses? He must have died. Did God abandon us? Like, I don't know what was in their mind, but they go to Aaron, the, the leader number two, the priest, and basically says, hey, would you build us a God that we can worship? Which is the most ridiculous thing, like really, like the presence of God is around this mountain and you have the audacity to say, can you create for us a God that we can worship, that we could say, you're the one that led us out of Egypt even though you weren't created till now. It makes the most ridiculous, like it's so ridiculous. So they do that and they commit spiritual adultery. Moses comes down and he's having this dialogue with God. God tells Moses saying, hey listen, it's time to go on. And God is not real thrilled. He's like, Moses, it's time to depart this mountain and go on. You're still going to go to the land of flowing with milk and honey. You're still going to go to the promised land. But listen, I'm not going with you anymore. I'm going to send an angel. And he will lead you to the promised land. But I'm not going with you. And Moses comes down the mountain. And he tells the people this report. And in verse 4 of chapter 33, it says that the people heard this disastrous news. You see, the reason why Christmas is so amazing is that we can see a little snapshot of it here. God wanted to show the world the uniqueness of his relationship with his people. No other religion, no other God claims to be near people like our God does. No other God wants to be as present to his people as our God does. God with us. God pleased to dwell and they just broke that. And all of a sudden it dawned on the nation of Israel, oh my goodness, he's not going with us. It's almost as if they just realized that they just lost the greatest gift, the greatest blessing in the whole world. And they start to weep and mourn. I'll go with, I'm not going with you. You're still going, you're still gonna go to the promised land, but an angel is gonna go, not me. And this was a disastrous report to them. Then Moses has his dialogue with God, goes into the tent of meeting. God comes down, meets with Moses face to face, has his intimate dialogue. It's really beautiful. 
And in this dialogue, we see something. We see Moses making requests that are so important for us to understand. So let's ease in. Let's drop in on this conversation. So let's look at this. Exodus 33, verse 12. Now Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and if you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Oh, consider too that this nation is your people. So you would think that in this moment of being the leader of this nation that just created or just had committed spiritual adultery, that completely just ruined the relationship of intimacy, you think that maybe Moses would begin to have a dialogue with God about what the plans are, and that's what we see here. Right, like he's, he's beginning to share his heart with God. And he's like, listen, God, I, I don't know who this angel is. Like, I don't, I, you, we never met. You never told me his name. I don't want some strange angel. God, these people are yours, not mine. This is your idea. God's not mine. You told me to come. This is all on you, God. I don't want just some strange angel to do this. In other words, Moses is saying to God, he's like, God, I don't want second best. I don't want to move forward without having your presence. If this is true, God, you say that like you know me by name. Like we have this relationship. You, you know me by name. I have favor with you. God, if this is true, God, show me your ways. Teach me your ways so that I may know you better. And that is the number one ask that I want you to grab hold of. Anytime you ask this question of God, anytime you make this request of God, when you come to him, God, teach me your ways. God, show me your ways. 100% of the time, God will say yes. He will never say no. He will always say yes. God, I want to know why you do what you do. God, I want to know your heart. I want to know what's driving you. This is a question that absolutely delights the heart of God. He will always say that, yes to this. Now, I, I need us to take, just take a quick step back and ask this question. Why was Moses even able to ask this question of God? God, show me your ways. How, how was he able to ask that question? It was because he was able to ask it on the relationship that he had with God already. Let's ask some questions here. Who initiated this relationship? God did. Who extended grace? God did. Who wants Moses to lead his people? God. Who wants to bless the world? God. Who wants people to know him? God, how do we get to know more about God? Well, God has to take the initiative for us to know more of himself. Does God want to do this? Yes. Well, how do we know this? Look at Jesus. Look at Christmas. Does God want us to know his heart and his ways? Yes. Will God ever say no to that request? No. He will always, always, always say yes. He will never say no. And it's based upon the relationship that we have with him. Even if you don't have a relationship with God right now. You can still make this request and he will say yes because he wants to have a relationship with you. He will always say yes. 
God, teach me your ways so that I may know you better. I want to know the core of you. We should ask this question all the time because we will never exhaust knowing God. Even in eternity, we will never fully know the fullness of God because God is infinite. And the more we know of him, the more we experience the joy of life, the freedom of life, the power and the peace that God has for us. Knowing God is the key really to everything. And in this moment of disaster, in this moment of disaster, when everything is looking bleak and dire, he's not asking for personal things. He's not asking like, God, give us protection. He just goes, God, show me your ways. That should tell us something. That maybe this request should be the top one on our request list with God. Show me your ways. That I may know you better. Here's God's response, verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. That is not the requ- that's not the answer that I would expect God to say. I would expect something like, okay, Moses, you want to know my ways? Come back up on the mountain, grab a few more tablets of stone, let's sit down, and I'm going to give you a lecture on the ways of God. We're going to have a five-week class on systematic theology 101, so that way you can know more. Like, I... I I'm just telling you, like, it is less costly to me to learn objective facts and truths. Let's, let's get into some theology on God. Let's know things about God. But God says, no, okay, you want to know my ways? What is the best way to know the heart of someone? Let me give you myself. I will be with you. And my presence will give you rest. It will give you peace. Is that really what he needs? 100%. I think the reason why we don't understand the beauty of this passage is that a lot of times we fail to remember the power and the beauty of presence. I remember a Christmas time, I wasn't to say Christmas Eve, which probably would make sense, it would be Christmas Eve, knowing my parents. I went Christmas shopping with my dad and he was always last minute. I know, he's gonna comment on Facebook, he's watching live. Hi dad. So, and, and my version of the story is way different than his. My memory's better because he's older, I'm younger, all that kind of good stuff. So my story's right, so believe me. Okay, so we were at the mall, we went shopping, and um, I don't know if you ever, if you had these stores in the South, KB Toy Store. So we were at a KB Toy Store, and we were going Christmas shopping, and my dad said, stay right here, I'll be back. Okay, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm just gonna play with these toys and all this kind of stuff. Well, some time goes by and I look over my shoulder and I can see those like metal gates coming down a little bit in front of the store and I started to get nervous. I'm like, okay, where's my dad? And a little bit longer goes and you hear over the PA announcement that the mall is now closed and I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is not as bad. I'm gonna live forever in this store now. But like, I was like, where's my dad? And I actually like started to whimper a little bit. I remember my, my lower lip quivering and just like being scared. And, and the guy uh, who worked at the counter came to me, he's like, you okay? And I was like, I don't know where my dad is. I can't find him. And lo and behold, he's nowhere to be found in a KB toy store. I have no idea where he went to. So they took me to the security guard and the security guard took me to this back office room down a hallway and went over the PA 
racism and said, what's, the, what's your dad's name? I was like, Russell. And so they said, well, Russell Ziski, please pick up your estranged child. <laughs> You know, at this, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm just standing there in front of the store, like waiting and looking. I just want to find, I just want to see my dad's presence so I can feel good. And I see this one guy walking who had a hat very similar to my dad. And I was like, oh, there he is. That's not him. Like, you know, all of a sudden I finally saw my dad and I remembered the feeling of peace and rest I had when his presence was finally there. Do we feel that way with God? Do you realize, like, if you are in Christ Jesus right now, he is as close to you as he possibly can. The Spirit of God resides and dwells within you. The miracle of Christmas is that God came to dwell amongst people who rejected him to show his heart. Anytime and every time you ask this question, God, show me your ways, he's going to say, yes, my presence will go with you, and here's the result that you need from my presence, rest, peace. It's the, pre- it's the rest that like surpasses all understanding. It's the joy that can be found in all circumstances. It's the lifestyle that desires and learns to praise God in all things and gives thanks in all things. It's a life of stability and constancy where we don't have to strive to try to please God and try to convince God of this or that. We just know because he's with us and so therefore we have rest. It's a rest where we know that God's gonna work all things out for the good because he said he knows the plans and his plans are good, not for evil. So anything that happens in my life is gonna be good because our God is the greatest giver ever and he only gives the very best. Rest can only be found when we place our faith in who God is. In order to know who God is, you have to be aware of his presence. Moses makes a request, show me your ways, and God says, yes, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses makes another subtle request, verse 15 through 17. And he said to me, Moses said, If your presence will not go with me, I want you to just grab hold of this. If your presence doesn't go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, Moses is saying, it's like, God, I I don't want the greatest of blessings. God, you can give me the greatest success. You can lead me to the land of milk and honey. You can even give me some random strange angel and do everything for me. But God, if you aren't with me, I don't want any of it. God, if you're not going with us, don't send us from here. What else makes us distinct as believers? Is it our buildings? Is it how we dress on Sunday morning? Is it our systems and programs? What makes Christianity distinct? Is it not God's presence with us? And that's why Moses says, God, in essence, what he's asking, it's almost like this affirmation saying, God, I don't want anything else. All I care about is, will you be present in my life? Because here's what Moses knew that we need to understand. That when we ask, okay, when we ask for comfort, he's going to give us the comforter. 
When we ask for like help, he gives us the helper. You ask for truth. Well, he's going to give you the truth giver. You ask for power. He's going to give you the spirit of power. You ask for wisdom. He's going to give you the spirit of wisdom. You ask for guidance. He gives you the guide. You ask for love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith. There's a lot of them there. He gives us the spirit. Like We ask for things, and God's like, I'm going to give you the best thing. Me. Jesus even taught this. In John, he says, like, you know, who of you fathers, right, like fathers in this room, if anybody, like, if, if for every, let me back up. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish instead of a fish, give him a serpent, to which hopefully all the dads would say, no one. Unless he's not, I'm just kidding. If he asks for an egg, that was a joke. If he asks for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion, to which the rhetorical answer is no one. Okay, if you know how to go gifts and you're evil, ouch. How much more? I love that. How much more will the heavenly Father, look at this, give the Holy Spirit? Not a bunch of things. How much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask. Anytime you ask God, be present in my life, God, I really want to be made distinct because of your presence, God would be like, yes. Because that's just proof that God has your heart. And all of a sudden, in this moment, I can imagine just the way the story plays out, Moses is like, okay, two for two. Okay, I got two. He said yes to this one. He's going to do this one. Maybe I can get a third one in real quick. And it just feels like so random. And just like, he's just all like almost overwhelmed with this dialogue he's having with God. And in verse 18, he just simply just slips in. He's like, please show me your glory. Like I just, like when I read the context of this, I'm just like, he just couldn't help himself. Okay, please show me your glory. He just slips that one in there. Which is the third ask to which God will always say yes to on his terms and in his way and in his timing. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that we've ever had, he said that this is the greatest request that anyone can make of God. There's no greater ask than this. Show me your glory. And if we were honest... Half the time when we sing about that or ask God that, we're like, I don't even know what I'm saying. But we know enough that we know we want it, but we don't really know what that is, and I think that's appropriate. I I think there's an appropriate mysterious tension in that. Moses has no clue what he's asking for. No clue. Just like us, when we sing and ask God, show me your glory, we, 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 we know, but we really don't know. We have a hunch, but we know that it's good, and it's like the thing that our soul is really just drawn to. And the reality is Moses didn't know, and we really don't know the full implications of what it means when we see the glory of God. Like any time somebody saw the glory of God, well, there was typically one response that would happen. You fall as though dead. Right, anytime like the holiness, the otherness of God was on display, there was this, this fear. 
And he, like even an angel, and when an angel would just show up, and it's just an angel. And when an angel would show up, they'd be terrified. And when you see the glory of God, whew, this ass comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And God will always, always say yes to it. When you hear the word glory, think about it this way. It's experiencing the weight of another. When you're experiencing the glory of God or when you're asking God to show his glory, what you're asking is, God, would you show me, would you let me feel the full weight of who you are? And God, he tells Moses in this passage, saying, Moses, I love that you're asking this question. I will let you see my goodness. I will let you see the backside of who I am. But you can't see my face, because if you were to see my face, you would die. Moses, you don't know that when you're asking me to show you my glory, that you're ask, actually asking to die. So I'm going to extend to you some grace, because you really don't know what you're saying. And I will show you my goodness, and that will overwhelm you. And so in this story, God takes Moses and puts him into the cleft of a rock and his, he passes by and he declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, right? And Moses gets to see the backside of who God is. But here's the price that comes when we see the glory of God. We quickly realize how sinful we are. When we see a glimpse of who God is and that he loves us so much that he even sent his one and only son, we see our sinfulness. We see our brokenness. We see just how far short we have fallen. And I want to be honest with you, that's why I'm convinced many of us don't pick up the second part of that Jeremiah 29 passage. We would rather have the good plans we would rather have all of that stuff because we know that when we move towards God in a relationship, we're going to encounter him. And when we encounter him, we're going to encounter his glory and his glory is going to reveal our sinfulness. And I don't know about you, but when God gets close and reveals my sinfulness, I don't like it. My flesh wants to squirm and go, I will just take the blessing. Like, let's not go there. And that's why we get religious. Come on. This is why we act religious so we can kind of control and maintain the relationship, kind of keep God at an arm's distance. But when we ask to see God's glory, we're going to see our brokenness. We're going to see our sinfulness. We're going to see that our old life, our flesh, is only worth to be considered dead. And it's God's grace that we see that when we confront his glory. Because it's only then can we understand the gospel. It's only then we can understand just how good and merciful and gracious God is that in the midst of our sin, he would send his son and love us when we would commit spiritual adultery in the very presence of God time and time again. Moses didn't get to see God's glory. But friends, listen, we get to we get to Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, reminds us that Jesus, Jesus is the exact imprint. 
He is the exact imitation of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. So when you look at Jesus, you see the glory of God on display. And that's why I'm telling you that every time you ask God, show me my glory, he's going to say yes, and he's going to go look to Jesus. Look to my son. Isn't he beautiful? Look what he did. For I know the plans I have for you, says God. Plans for your good and not evil. We're like, yeah. Plans to give you a future and hope. Then, when I do this, when I initiate this, then you will call. Then you will come. Then you will pray. And I will hear. And I will respond. You will seek me. And you're going to find me. If you seek me with all your heart. I want to encourage you as you walk out of here today. Make these three requests the top on your Christmas list with God. Show me your ways. Be present in my life. Show me your glory. God will say yes to all three. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Okay? Request these things. And then I want you to put yourself in a position to encounter it. Request these things, but put yourself in a position to receive it, to experience it. Exodus chapter 34, verse 2. Simple principles that we see here that I just want to encourage you with. God tells Moses, okay, come up again. But there's just principles that I want to extract out of this verse and share with you. He tells Moses to be ready by the morning, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. Here's three principles that you can apply to your life right now to put yourself in a position to experience God's answers. Be ready. It doesn't have to be in the morning. Praise God. I'm not a morning person. Be ready. Come up. Present yourself. Be ready basically means making yourself available and accessible. If you feel a tug or an urge in your heart to pray, to stop, maybe just like, maybe I shouldn't watch that movie. Maybe I should be with the Lord. Just bet on that's the Holy Spirit. Make yourself accessible. That's what it means to be ready. Be ready. Be consistent in prayer. Find times for scripture, but then come up. He told Moses to come back up on the mountain. Right? Like, there's, there's this thing that my mentor used to say to me that I say often to other people. It's like, you can have as much of God as you want. It's on you. You can take any relationship as far as you are willing to go. There's a price. Like, yes, come on up. It takes effort. It takes work. Relationships take effort, take work to know the heart of someone. That's the idea of going up. It's a journey. It's a beautiful journey. There's nothing like getting to the top of a mountain and seeing everything. Be ready. Come up. But then present yourself. I love that. No pretense. 
You don't, you don't have to bring any gifts. You don't have to come up and say, God, look, I've gone to church four weeks in a row. God, look, I served. God, look, I gave. God, look, I cleaned up this. God, look, no excuses, no pretense. You just come and you present yourself. Here I am. The best way to position yourself this Christmas to be reminded and to know just how bright your future is, be ready. Come up and present yourself. That's what I want to challenge you to do this Christmas. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your promises. They're so good. So full of grace and mercy. So God, I just pray that we would first and foremost believe that you are a good God and that you do always give your best. You always lead to life. You can do no other. And we know that all of these promises are guaranteed. They're a yes because of Jesus. And that's why we can declare, amen, so be it, I believe it. For your glory. Father, I pray that you would create inside of us as a church an insatiable desire to want to know you, to want to be in your presence, to want to understand your ways, to have the heart that wants to ask questions that we don't even know the full extent of what we're asking. Show me your glory. So, Father, I pray for all of my friends here, myself included, that this Christmas season, starting right this moment, we would see your glory in the face of your son, Jesus. So God, would you take advantage of this moment? And church, for us, let's take advantage of this moment and just present ourselves to him. And just say, Lord, here I am. And sometimes when you encounter his presence, it's going to be a conviction of sin. And sometimes when you feel that, you just confess that sin. He's faithful and just to cleanse us. If it's a need to ask for forgiveness or to extend forgiveness to someone, listen to the Spirit on that. And I know this is, this is hard, too, to receive God's blessing over you. Some of you really struggle to believe that God loves you. Some of you really struggle to believe that God, when he looks at you, he says, I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. Some of us need to like stop fishing, looking for sin, and just to receive those words of encouragement from our Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord.